Hey, it's Johanna Maska, and on this episode of Press Advance, we're talking about no labels. As Democrats and Republicans are working to establish and bolster their credentials, there's another group called No Labels working to establish a path for a third-party candidate to be on the ballot throughout the United States. We're talking to Joe Cunningham, who is national director of No Labels. The organization just hosted a major town hall in New Hampshire with Senator Joe Manchin and former Utah Governor John Huntsman. For those keeping track, those two are on different sides of the aisle, although John Huntsman actually served as a, an ambassador in the Obama administration. We also talked to journalist Kevin Cirilli, who moderated the No Labels town hall with the common sense agenda at the forefront. They say they're rolling it out. Cunningham was a one-term congressman from the same district Nancy Mace now represents. He ran for governor against an incumbent governor of South Carolina. He lost. But he has been with no labels since his time in Congress. He first started when it was the Problem Solvers Caucus. So I asked him to tell me more about the no labels town hall. Tonight, uh, you know, it was a town hall, which was the first of many to talk about common sense, which is a booklet of 30 different policy ideas as to where the majority of Americans are on issues, whether it be immigration or crime or education or gun safety. Um, and it's just a reflection of where America is. And it, it's kind of a demonstration to elected officials, politicians, that there's a lot of things that we agree on, uh, Democrats and Republicans. And there's there's common, you know, common ground for us to work on. Uh, and we'll be doing a number of these town hall events with numerous leaders. Of course, tonight we had Senator Manchin and Governor Huntsman, but uh, we'll have other events with more people uh, to talk about these these common sense ideas and how to just try how, how to bring this country together. I looked over the 72-page document. It's clear Washington folks were involved. <laughs> we didn't have. But how do you summarize what are the big policy points that No Labels cares about? Well, look, I think probably when I was a member of the Problem Solvers Caucus, each week's meeting started off with the most pressing issues. All right. And, you know, when I was when we were going through COVID, it was it was the uh, you know CARES Act. Uh, it was COVID relief uh, here recently. It's been was heavy on budget. You know, the budget is always going to be at the forefront for the Problem Solvers Caucus. How do we get our financial house in order? Uh, that's a big one. Immigration as well. Gun safety is another one, though, too. You know, I mean, No Labels isn't shying away from some of these quote unquote controversial hot topic issues. Uh, the fact is, there's a, um, and, 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 you know, the people on No Labels, or at least the Problem Solvers Caucus, which I was a member of, uh, could talk about some of those hot, to- hot topic issues in a way that garnered bipartisan support. And that's kind of what you saw here tonight was talking about these issues. I think we all agree that compromise has to happen for anything to move forward. But in 2016, the organization said that by 2030, they wanted to see a balanced budget. Is that still a realistic goal? Because that was in 2016. And between 2016 and 2023, it hasn't exactly been a balanced budget. No. And, you know, and that's why we put in there. It has to get there over time. If you said you know, do a balanced budget within the next two years. I think that's probably why they put 14 years in there, because if you do it within a short period of time, there are going to be some drastic cuts that most Americans either can't or won't stomach. Uh, it has to be thought out over time. You know, it starts, and I think it's in a booklet, about a, uh, a bipartisan, you know, committee that studies this and provides recommendations or even recommendations with teeth, because otherwise you're going to get into a scenario where your politicians are playing 
kick the can down the road yeah. uh, on some of these issues. But that's my question is like on abortion in the common sense agenda, it says America must strike a balance. But what does that balance look like? What that booklet did was showed where America was. And so where that balance is, I've got my own personal opinions, but no labels. This booklet is a reflection of where the majority of Americans are. And I think that what it says about uh, this particular issue is that most Americans, uh, you know, are not in this position where they want all restrictions and they want women to have access to their reproductive health. Uh, but they also recognize that there is a state interest at some point. What point along the pregnancy, the number of weeks, there's very opinions. But this is the thing is like we're arguing about number of weeks. I would say most Americans, they don't want the government in their bedroom. Right. Like when it comes to there's already a human life, there's some questions about that, about, you know, what is the uh, but there's so many nuances. I mean, I think the booklet outlines that the majority of abortions are done before 15 weeks. But the ones that are in the very rare circumstances that are at the very end, it's a doctor making a life or death decision. And it's like, OK, so <laughs> what role does government have in people's lives like what should they be what's the force that no label says that they should be those points uh in pregnancy you're talking about yeah they're heartbreaking those towards the later term and i've talked about these a lot on the campaign trail and this this document isn't meant to be prescriptive of all and and set a, a firm line in the sand what it's meant to do is is start a conversation and be you know telling politicians that hey americans are not this far to the right on this particular issue. I know that these, uh, you know, when you gerrymander states and when you, uh, you know, you, when you have one party control, you can say that we're going to do this. You know, for they fear do of crazy a, stuff. Uh, Kansas, yeah. they ban evolution. Yeah. California, they ban contracting. Like when one state has, when one party has control, you're right, you need a balance. And we all too often don't have a balance. So then the other thing I would say you did in this booklet is you outlined some of our big definitional problems. I mean, Obviously, Social Security is one of those problems. By 2040, one in five Americans will be over 65 years old. They will be collecting Social Security. And those of us who are working, and it's getting smaller and smaller, those numbers who are also paying student loans and childcare and the like are going to be paying that Social Security. Um, so outlining the problems is absolutely right. And you're right. I mean, the Democratic Party doesn't say they have a, a solution on everything. The Republican Party doesn't have a solution on everything. But a candidate normally does. So did you think tonight that Manchin and Huntsman answered with definition on some of these questions? Well, are, are you alluding that those are the candidates? Because <laughs> <laughs> That's what a lot of people are alluding to. <laughs> well, <laughs> Who are the candidates? <laughs> well, the, you know, we don't even know if we're going to run a ticket yet, right? And, and, and But you're right, though. Like, you know, if you have a candidate, you need to have answers, right? No labels doesn't have a candidate right now. And we don't even know if we're going to have one. Uh, you know, what we're, our timeline is, just so your listeners know, is that We'll wait till Super Tuesday and then take a look because it may not be Biden versus Trump. A lot can happen. We have a political eternity between now and then. Um, but we have two hurdles that we, that we have to clear. Number one, the two major nominees have to be so viewed so unfavorable that it warrants a another line item on the ballot. And number two, the, um, the such a bipartisan ticket needs to have a pathway to victory. Our past modeling and polling under Biden versus Trump 
showed that a unity ticket had a pathway to victory, a clear pathway to victory. But to get back to your question, did they provide enough definition? I think on certain ones that that some people were satisfied, I think others you may have left people wanting a little bit more. But hey, you know, they're not the candidates running. And, and here's the thing about Washington, D.C. is that many people can't even agree on the actual problems, more or less the solutions, you know? So I sympathize with the argument that most Americans don't want uh, Biden and Trump. I've said that for a long time. I am very skeptical right now of this path because, okay, so let's talk about the third party run, which is, I think nobody has a problem with an organization that's working on trying to bring people together to try to find the solution. But a third party run, the reason why people are worried is because they don't know how that ends up affecting the overall race. And there are a lot of people scared I suppose, on both sides of the aisle of the other person's nominees. So they want to know, you know, what's a third party run? So (laughs) this third party run question requires first that somebody gets on the ballot. And you guys are working to try to get ballot access. Where have you successfully gotten ballot access? Where do you think the hurdles are going to be for ballot access? We're on about five states right now, and we hope to be on a a couple dozen states by the end of the year. What are the five states? Colorado, Alaska, uh, uh, Oregon. Um, I won't say Arizona. That's in litigation right now. Um, I'm blanking now. I'll get to you. So uh, interestingly that you have Alaska there, they have ranked choice voting. Ranked choice voting is something that a lot of people have said would give people more options if you had ranked choice voting and a third party candidate. But right now, as it stands, a lot of those states you just named are blue states. What happens if you don't get ballot access on all 50 states? Well, well, I'll say that, you know, our what's driving us and ballot access Imagine you're applying in 50 different states, 50 different jurisdictions with different sets of laws. So there are timelines and laws in which we're going into the states that are allowing us to go into. And there are certain states that don't allow you to get on the ballot until you have a candidate. So and there are certain states that don't allow you to go on until 2024. You know, we we just got on Utah, which is a red state. Um, So our, you know, getting on these states is driven by the particular state laws and their timelines, uh, not necessarily ours. You know, gotten some feedback for getting on blue states, but hey, we, we're going to have a wave of red states come up as well. I think if we had our druthers be on all 50 states on day one, but we can't be. We're going through this process and complying with each respective state laws, and that's what's driving this. In this crystal ball, I guess, of trying to predict who the candidate will be. There are a lot of people with the organization who are politicians and politicians tend to have their own egos. I don't know if you've noticed. (laughs) Once or twice. How would no labels choose their candidate? We're in the process of of, uh, finalizing that and hope to have a process nailed down. But I think it's going to have some citizen input, obviously. And hope to have it finalized by early in the fall. But the timeline you know, allows us a little bit more runway to figure that out. Citizen input would be crucial. But like, how would you do that? Is that what you're trying to figure out? How you would do that? Yeah, yeah, we're in the process of figuring that. I don't have an answer for you uh, tonight. It's not a Twitter poll. No, no, it's not. No. <laughs> you know, as we're looking ahead, uh, as I mentioned, we'd be making the decision 
if to nominate between March and April after Super Tuesday. Um, so we have a good bit of time until then, but I think we're trying, we're trying to nail that down, uh, probably for by later on this fall. So I remember being in the knockdown drag out fight, Hillary versus Obama. I was on the Obama side and, uh, it went well after Super Tuesday. We were going till, I think it was like May. We got the majority of delegates. Yeah. Um, how do you think that you'll have enough clarity and then is there enough time for that process to figure out who that candidate is? Or does the candidate nomination start before that? Traditionally, we tend to know the nominees by Super Tuesday. Sometimes it goes on. As far as a timeline goes, no labels retains the ability to pull a ticket, you know, well into the summer, early fall. Uh, as each state has their own requirements as to w- how you can get on the ballot and when you can get on the ballot, they also have their requirements as to when and who can get off the ballot. But we look at the you know the overall picture and recognize that if we nominate a ticket and we put it out there in uh, April at, at our convention and we give it time to breathe and figure out, okay, is this something people will latch on to or is it something that just polls well? We'll have time to flesh that out. And if it's not, and if it looks like it's, you know, it's shifting the race, you know, in, in one direction, then we'll, we'll have the ability to pull that. No label as well. And you look, take a look at which particular states, obviously, they're different time frames. But that's what I was going to say, because, Joe, isn't it like if you don't pull it in time, they could be printed. Certain states are more critical than others. There's no doubt about that. Right. Uh, so that you have certain swing, swing states and you have Democratic groups that are claiming that this will hurt them. I think we're going to hear the same thing from Republicans. Eventually, the Republicans will figure it out. I keep thinking that uh, actually initially I was like the RFK Jr. stuff will totally hit, you know, Biden because he's Kennedy. But then I'm looking at all the people giving him money and everything. It could hit Republicans, too. You know, <laughs> like nobody knows. You, you take Western states off the map for Republicans and it spells trouble for them. Our modeling, our polling shows that it pulls evenly from both sides. And we don't have a uh, precedent here in our country in recent history to compare this to. I guess if you were to compare it to anybody, it would be Ross Perot, right? And the exit poll showed that he drew evenly from both sides, and it resulted in electing a Democratic president, Bill Clinton. It wasn't to Donald Trump on the ticket. I mean, he's kind of upended the political status quo. And look, I'm from Galesburg, Illinois. It's a place that voted for Barack Obama and then voted for uh, Donald Trump. You're from an area where you know a ton of people who... I know all too well. And and what concerns me as a Democrat, too, is his ability to outperform polls in 2020. My poll numbers were way ahead, uh, but he has that ability. So I'm not convinced Biden can win until I would see that he was up significantly out way outside the margin of error, because as we know, uh, traditionally when Trump is on the, on the ticket, he's got serious coattails. This is my thing about Donald Trump. When he first came into office, I said, I will root for the president of the United States. 
I would never root against a president of the United States. And then Donald Trump took things so personally and gained so many vendettas. And I mean, he went after Kayleigh McEnany recently, his press secretary, and it doesn't make any sense. And now if he came back into office, I have no idea what to expect. And there were times, especially during the global pandemic, when we were fighting for toilet paper in, you know, Home Depots, that it like government wasn't working. Government is currently working under the Biden administration in most part, right? And the question is, you're saying you would see that you would lead to a Trump and you would say, no, you guys would just knock it in. If we knew this effort would lead to Trump, absolutely, we would sit on the sidelines. Sit on the sidelines. Um, no, yeah, yeah, I mean, I vote to impeach the guy. He should never be president again. I want to make, make sure that's heard perfectly clear. Um, and so, you know, the idea that me or Dr. Ben Chavis or other Democrats in, involved would be engaged in any activity that would intentionally put that man back in the White House is pure lunacy. Like, like Not gonna full happen. stop. Not going to happen. Like, I mean, what, you know, I don't know what, what kind of gymnastics that is, but um, we'll be collecting data. But you pitch this idea to people outside of politics, the average person. You know, I go into my brother's house who's, you know, busy shuffling his kids to and from practice. And you mention it to them and they love it. Then the people who who are having heartburn with it are the people within within the beltway. And and if you take a step back and like ask yourself, okay, here we are, you know, and two thirds of America doesn't want to see this rematch. Like who's speaking, who's speaking to those folks who who want another voice or another choice? And this is the United States of America. So you, you have the ability to get on the ballot if you follow the right rules and, and laws. And there's so many Americans who feel disenchanted and, and left without a without a place and a home, and that leads to longer podcasts where we talk about you know a- apathy and the disengagement we have, especially with uh, younger people. I like that you guys are talking about national service. Mayor Pete was talking about national service. There are others, Democrats and Republicans, but so many are completely disconnected with our government of you know our age and younger. So how do you get them involved? I fail to see a lot of younger people get engaged uh, in public service under these two presumptive nominees. I don't think that that either of them are going to you know, inspire a lot of people into either public service or reinforce their confidence in, in government. Today was about common sense. It's about these ideas. And we'll deal with the unity ticket if that becomes a thing later on down the road. It's going to be an interesting and I want to stay in touch. But the last thing that I have to question, ask you, because, you know, I Google and I saw some weird stuff saying that you sued your ex-wife, saying that she contributed to your loss when you ran for governor. What is that about? It's completely false. You know, and we're trying to raise our five year old kid the best we can. And, you know, I won't put much stock in any basement bloggers or otherwise. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I'm sure that we will talk again, and I, I, I will be following all that you're doing. Thanks for having me. It's good seeing you. Now I'll turn to Kevin Cirilli, who moderated the town hall, to give us a little bit of perspective. Kevin, it is so good catching up with you. You moderated the town hall tonight for No yeah. Labels. You've been a journalist for a long time. We've known each other. Tell me, give me a lay of the land. Like, what was the scene like? They're saying that it was standing room only, you know, overflow. What was it like? It was packed. I mean, no doubt. I, I'm I'm doing some work now with Scripps News, and 
And when no labels asked me to moderate, they put no conditions on what I could ask and what I couldn't ask. And and uh, it was really kind of surreal because as a political journalist to show up at the Institute for Politics at St. Anselm's, which, as you know, Johanna, is, is truly one of the most iconic political venues in New Hampshire in primary season, they had two overflow rooms. So what's the capacity of the rooms, just so I understand? How many people about? I would say a little more than around 150 people in the uh, venue where the town hall was. And then they had two more capacity rooms of, I would say, dozens more. And it was really interesting to see folks who really feel that Trump isn't for them and President Biden isn't for them. And for someone like Senator Manchin, who's left the door open to running, and I tried, trust me, I tried to get him to say if he's going to run for president. Right now, he may not even win his Senate bid if he's running for re-election, right? Senator Manchin. Exactly. And, you know, look, for Manchin, it's a tough, tough Senate race. And he has to decide by January if he's going to run for Senate or he's going to not run for Senate. But Manchin is, by flirting with running for president, really angering the progressives in his party. And as a Democrat, I asked him if he is an independent or a Democrat. He said he's still a Democrat, uh, but he's an independent at the same time. So it's like he's always tried to have it sort of both ways when it comes to that. Who knows if that'll change? Uh, by the end of the year when he says he'll make a decision one way or the other. Well, and I talked to Joe Cunningham, who is, of course, uh, national director for No Labels, and he was pretty clear that they don't know who their candidate's going to be. Was Larry Hogan in the room? I didn't see Hogan. I did see the governor of New Hampshire, Sununu, and Lieberman was there as well. And But it is also interesting, and, and I'm sure uh, Joe told you this, they're not even saying that they want to put forth a ticket, which is really a unique position. And even backstage in the green room, some of the top advisors to No Labels were there and they kept underscoring, this is not a third party. And if one of the major candidates backs this more moderate approach, they don't want to have to run a spoiler campaign. And I asked Manchin on stage, what do you say to folks who, who say that you doing this would, would make you a spoiler? And he said, you know, he's never gotten in a, in a race that he can't win and, and he's never been a spoiler. Hmm. So what about the leadership of the organization? Who was there? All of them. So you had everyone from co-chairs, uh, former Senator Joe Lieberman, who has really been out front in defending them uh, as an independent voice. And even the mood and how they were cultivating in the pre-program prior to my interviews was one of, I don't want to say anger, but frustration is probably the better word. And a frustration with the process of Trump versus Biden. And this sense that none of the political parties are speaking to the moderate middle and instead are benefiting financially from the fringe and financially from division. And that is now erupting in this way. So there were, there the leadership, was Nancy Jacobson there? Yes. Was uh, Nancy Jacobson's husband, Mark Penn, there? I didn't see him. 
For our listeners, Nancy Jacobson, who founded the organization, founder and CEO, she had been a long-term Democrat, supported Al Gore, Evan Bayh. Um, She's married to Mark Penn. Mark Penn was forced out from the Clinton campaign in April 2008. I was working for the Obama campaign. He um, had told Senator Clinton not to compete in Iowa in a memo that was leaked. And of course, Kevin, I know I remember that memo well. But he also feuded with top staff. He continued his business with Burson Marceller that included working with Blackwater worldwide. He was also representing Colombia in a free trade deal that the senator opposed. There were a lot of like icky kind of things. And so eventually they got rid of Mark Penn. Uh, Of course, Nancy, his wife, goes on to found No Labels. They say that they're not working together. And there were rumors that Mark Penn maybe consulted Trump at some point. Those rumors, he says, are not true. But it's a lot of really dc insider beltway people who are behind this organization. Is that an accurate representation, Kevin, of who they all are? I was in high school in 2008. (laughs) 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 So I don't know. So I, you know, I, but I can can say that it's been interesting as a journalist to see the back and forth between groups like Third Way, and this is super in the weeds, which is why your podcast is so interesting. But it is interesting as a journalist to see how you have Groups like Third Way, which is a center-left organization, and the Lincoln Project, which is, of course, very controversial as well, uh, which is more of a never-Trump organization, and this feud that has really erupted, and it truly is inside the Beltway against no labels. And I'm fascinated by that as a journalist because one of the criticisms that has been lobbed at no labels is this idea of will you release who's funding no labels? And I ask both. Uh, Senator Manchin, as well as former Utah Governor John Huntsman, who's a Republican, he was on the on the stage with Manchin. I asked them, this is sort of insidery, but I was like, do the American people have a right to know who's funding no labels? And they both said yes. That was an answer that surprised me, just how blunt they were. Now, they went on to say that there's too much money in politics and that everyone should be more transparent. But that was a comment that I definitely think was notable given the inside the beltway conversations that are having on. And I also think, quite frankly, that you could see no labels questioning the other groups about the funding transparency of them. It is very true. The funding transparency of everyone leaves a little bit of uh, (laughs) that we would desire. But I also heard you asked him, Manchin, if he would support ending Citizens United, which, of course, has changed uh, considerably that transparency and the ability of different organizations to fund political campaigns. Yes. And he said, quote, I would think uh, the Democratic and Republican Party should be transparent. And I want to make sure I have this right. So I'm pulling up my notes, quote, both parties are going to have to pass legislation that outlaws Citizens United. Again, I mean, going really far and further than he's gone before. And I think when I read through the common sense proposal that they put out, Joanna, and I'm, I'm curious for your take, just because I know you're super in all of this world, there really isn't a party that's catering 
to this specific swath of people, whether or not that's enough people to get someone elected is is difficult right now to see a path. But there, this is a these are nuanced positions that some check more right, some check more left. What do you think? I think that you have a lot of people in America who do not feel like they're represented. Absolutely. I think no labels representing those people is going to be an uphill battle, especially with some of the people that they've got involved, because it's a lot of people who are career politicians. And that's what Trump ran against. And frankly, Obama kind of ran against. Now, Biden is the quintessential career politician. We ended up with him, though. And I think a lot of people were hoping for more stability and more reaching across the aisle. And that hasn't always been the case, right? So I guess the biggest issue, Kevin, I see for them is even if you get ballot access, and you may not get ballot access on every state, um, how do you actually have a path to victory? And you have to have a name that people gravitate to. And so I'm curious, did you ask them whether a celebrity would be among their candidates of choice? Because I've always been curious, like if they were polling George Clooney or Scarlett Johansson or The Rock, who has come up a lot or something like that. I think that no one should be looking at Manchin and Huntsman as, you know, the no labels ticket because no labels isn't even looking at, at Manchin and Huntsman as the no labels ticket. I, I think it's, it's accurate to say that they are considering it and Manchin has been open that he is uh, considering a presidential run. But I think there are some CEOs out there who are CEOs of mid-sized companies and some of whom have gone on to be governor uh, of Arizona, former governor of Arizona, Ducey, um, another who has been a Dallas mayor. And so I think this is just the beginning for the no labels conversation. Um, mm-hmm. And I do think that they have leverage right now, whether you agree with them or disagree with them, they have leverage in impacting at minimum the conversation of the 2024 race. It was on NBC Nightly News tonight. And I, I know that you will find this interesting because you're an insider and a new listener. Yeah. One of my favorite questions that I, I was like, I definitely want to ask this was, how would this work? Like from a basic level, a Republican and a Democrat in the White House together. How would this work on an issue like abortion, on gun control, on tax reform? And both of them, it, I don't want to say it stumped them, but it they just said, well, it's never been done before. And if they are really going to do this, whoever is actually going to do this, they need to be able to answer that question. Well, yeah. And the truth is also the vice president doesn't have a lot of power. The vice president is supposed to be the vice president and not step in the way of the president. And we've seen it done in certain states. I mean, Kathleen Sebelius had a Republican running mate in Kansas, and he was a drunk Republican, but he was a Republican. <laughs> so she she made all of the decisions. And, you know, he was there. I don't know how that power sharing structure works, given the commander in chief role that you're going for. Number one, really, I'm, I'm intrigued, like, how would it work with the cabinet be? 
bipartisan? Would And typically every presidential nominee gets asked, would you name a member of the opposing party to your cabinet? But I'm really, truly interested in these questions. And I do think at minimum that room, and I do believe that they could gather that audience in some other states, is imagining this. And that in and of itself is interesting to me as a journalist. About 120 people in the room. Were any of them young? Oh, that's a great question. Yes. I did a walkthrough of the facility. And and Joanna knows this because I, you know how important these walkthroughs are. And last night, that's when you can really see an organization up close because it's the on the ground people who are, you know, the campaign staffers and some of them volunteers. And they're all under the age of 35 and they drive from, you know, all over. And I will tell you that walkthrough staffers from last night were as talented and experienced as any top-notch presidential campaign that I've covered. It was a very well-run operation. It was smooth. It was slick. And it had, it, I mean, they knew what they were doing. I didn't know what to expect walking into that, but they had banners that said common sense and they had an MLK poster and they had the Statue of Liberty poster and they had the uh, Lincoln Memorial poster. I mean, it was slick. They've done this before. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I think that's the point that you made, Kevin, that's so interesting is this is probably not the end. Especially if they're well-funded, this is probably the beginning. Yeah. And, you know, I I will try to keep an open mind, as you know, throughout the whole process. And I asked Joe to come back, so. (laughs) And anything else that you think, like, the listeners should absolutely know? I, I didn't ask about Ukraine. I imagine that they said what most insiders would say, which is... Their whole point is that they're sick of Congress people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and AOC and Ilan Omar... And so I did ask Huntsman, I was like, you know, last week, Marjorie Taylor Greene said that the United States should withdraw from NATO. Now, full disclosure, I am on a media fellowship at the Atlantic Council, which is NATO's think tank. And obviously, I support NATO. I'm the grandson of the greatest generation. Both of my grandfathers served in World War II. And I was expecting Huntsman to criticize Marjorie Taylor Greene, and he didn't take the bait. He defended NATO, obviously. Huntsman is the former chairman of the Atlantic Council, and they didn't criticize specific names. I think if they want to get to the next level, they're going to have to start calling people out. But what about the substance of like, they wouldn't do anything different than Biden on Ukraine? I asked that directly about President Biden, like, what is the difference between like a unity ticket or like, why are you running? President Biden has, you know, done bipartisan things. To be frank with you, I did not specifically ask uh, the difference between what they would do and what President Biden has done on Ukraine. So I I will be truthful. I didn't ask that specific question in the 60 minutes I had. (laughs) Well, it's going to be interesting. It really depends on who they put up. But you are absolutely right. This is not the end of the conversation, but probably the beginning. Kevin Cirilli, thank you so much for joining me. And on a big night, congratulations on uh, moderating the No Labels first town hall. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. I really appreciate all of you who stuck around. Our motto for the Iowa campaign for President Obama was respect, empower, include. And gosh, I think we could 
get back to that in politics. That is exactly what I want to do on Press Advance. And I'd love to have the audience involved. So if you're listening to this, please find me on social media at Johanna Masca. Send me what you think and let me know if I should read it on the podcast. Please follow us, rate and review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.